0: out. Uh, Today, Brother Travis McCormick, who is the men and boys mission strategist at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Um, So this time, Brother Travis will let you come and share what the Lord has on your heart. I can almost do this without this, but that's all right. Uh, It is uh, my privilege and my pleasure to be with you all. If I can't be with my family on Sunday morning, there's no place I'd rather be than with God's people. We're uh, We're all a little bit different. We do things a little bit different, but we all have one thing in common, and that's Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And if we don't have that in common, there's no reason for us to be together anyway, is there? This morning, I'm excited to be with you. I know you're praying for your team. Is there a way? Uh, my name is Travis McCormick, and I work with the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I'm on the missions team. One of the things that I do, I don't have time to go into all this, and you're not here to hear all that anyway, but um, I do, one of the things I'm responsible for is our state missions offering, Dixie Jackson. How many of you are familiar with Dixie Jackson? Your church gave a, a good amount last year to Dixie, over $5,000. And the reason why that's important is because there's so much that God is doing in and around our state and through us as we work together. And we can't accomplish this work all by ourselves, we need each other. You know, it's not just a saying to to say that together we can accomplish more, but we really can. And I wanted to share with you real quick a story that's indirectly related to Dixie Jackson to just show you, number one, is we sing about how good God is and the greatness of God and how God works. and sometimes we don't understand that. And sometimes God does things that we never could have thought or even imagined. And so, it's important that we're all together in, in all the ways that God accomplishes and how he uses his people. And so this year, our theme for Dixie is going to be turning points. It's going to be based off of the story of the woman at the well. And there's actually a story from an event that we do called Connect, which is a student missions weekend. And uh, Connect started about 13 years ago. And through that, I met a man named Thomas Little who brought his group to uh, from Royal to Connect several years and found out he was good at construction and 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 eventually got him on as my construction coordinator to help with all the projects that we do during Connect. And from that, then Thomas and I were I've been connected with World Changers for several years. I was a speaker in Little Rock, and then I've been the project coordinator for World Changers, which is those of you who aren't familiar with that, is just a, a group where they bring students in and they spend a week rehabbing a city and, and painting and fixing houses up. It used to be we roofed all the time, and now because of safety, they don't let them do that anymore unless they're 18. That could have something to do with all the people that ended up falling through the roofs and ended up in people's living rooms and all that. But that, that's really why the students signed up before everybody wanted a roof, but now we do painting and stuff like that. But through that, um, I got Thomas hooked up as my, project, as my construction coordinator in Pine Bluff. Well through that, Thomas has a guy in his group named Carl who's also good at construction and two years ago he got Carl involved. And so all this is stemmed from, remember, I met Thomas because of Dixie Jackson giving, because we have this event, because of of Connect, and and he got Carl involved, and Carl came back this year, and we almost didn't think we were going to have one, because we had a small group, and so we only ended up with about 65 people that came this year to, to World Changers. But one of the projects that they gave us was rehabbing an old school that they're going to turn into a homeless shelter, and I told the kids at the end of the week, this is the very first project I've ever been a part of where there wasn't any kind of decisions made at all this week. There were no salvation decisions we didn't get to meet very many people they did share the gospel four or five times and and they prayed with several people but here's what happened and here's why i told you and here's here's how sometimes we might think man that wasn't very successful number one this is going to be a huge catalyst the mayor came by and visited with us and you if you walked into that building right now you would have not believed that teenagers had actually painted it because i've seen things that teenagers paint before right and i always said you have to be desperate to have teenagers paint anything for you but this was incredible, the job that they did and the work they put into it, and so it opened some doors in the city. But here's where this all comes in. Carl met a guy, a guy came up to him that was working with, the, they have a construction crew from a construction company in Little Rock, and uh, somebody tapped on his shoulder and said, Carl. And Carl turns around and he stares at him, doesn't know who this guy is, and the guy says, you don't remember me? And he said, no, it was Carl's cousin <laughs> that he hasn't seen in over 30 years. And uh, he met him on the work site, well, Then Carl told me a story later on, he said, Travis, there was uh, about 30 years ago, he got sick, his cousin did, and was in the hospital, and it was while Carl was in school, and his parents were going to visit his cousin, and he, and Carl said, I talked my parents into letting me go with them, even though I had to skip school, because he said, if you will let me go with you, I will have an opportunity to share the gospel with my cousin, and he said, Travis, I went, and I never shared the gospel. And he said, I have been praying for 30 years for an opportunity to be reconnected with my cousin. He said, yesterday, I got to share the gospel with my cousin. Because that ought to send chills up your spine. To think about all the things that God had to orchestrate for that to just come into place and into being. He didn't receive the Lord, but he got a chance to be connected and to ask questions, and Carl's going to follow up on him. And so it's just amazing that we get to be a part of stuff like that that we never even thought of. We get to see the direct results, the things that happen now. But God is always working behind the scenes, and together we can do more. And it couldn't. God used you in giving to help bring that about, and so it's exciting to be a part of something like that. This morning, I want to just share some good news with you as we come together. I won't keep you long. I always say my job is to make you appreciate your pastor that much more. So if I accomplish that, then I've done that. But I think even more than that, I believe there's a hundred guys that could do better than what I, can do what I do better than I do it. But there's not a hundred guys that have been called here today to do this. Today. And so I take this seriously. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at the very end. We're going to look at verses 31 and following. But I want to share with you some really good news this morning. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that good news is. And here it is. And everybody needs to understand this. If you are a child of the king, if you have been adopted as a son or daughter of the king, we win. We win. How many of you like to win? Right? We all like to win. Well, we need to understand that we've already won. That ought to impact every area of our lives, and so the question becomes, and I'll ask this again in a minute, why do we walk around like we've lost? We win, and the lost world doesn't need us to walk around like we've lost. They need us to to walk around like we've won because they need to know that they can win too, and we have the answer, and so what I want to do is I want to give you seven rhetorical questions that Paul asks in this passage, but again, all points back to the fact that we have won. And he goes ahead and he answers them, but they're they're things that have already been answered that we don't need to necessarily discuss and talk about. But let me read through this, and we'll come back and we'll go through this quickly together. It says this, What then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord let's pray together father we love you and God it is our privilege together today to worship you and to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve father to recognize the gift that you've given us to know who you are and recognize who we are but who we've become in Christ who we've become because you've adopted us as your chip as your children. Father, you love us. You love us enough to send your son to die for us. Teach us from your word today. Help us to be different because we've been in your presence. We invite you here and know that, Father, if you don't go before us, if you're not here with us, then everything we do is in vain. And it's only because of the gospel that anything we do matters. And, Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us, and we do pray if anybody here doesn't know what it means to be adopted as your children, who hasn't experienced the freedom that, that you bring, through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, that, Father, today would be the day that they would understand, they would talk to somebody and not leave here without knowing the free gift that you give. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and just go before us today. Father, help us to honor you in all we say and do, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the very first rhetorical question, we just jump right into it in verse 31. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? Uh, Anybody ever been guilty of asking a question because you wanted to answer it? You know what I'm saying? You, you don't necessarily care what that person has to say. You just, no one's asked you yet, and you have an opinion, and you haven't gotten to share it yet. So you ask the question, you put up with whatever anybody answers, and say, okay, let me tell you what I believe about this. And that's what you were waiting to get to all along, right? So what then shall we say? The issue is, I think, as he's, as he's asking this question, first of all, is to, to help us see we don't have to say anything, <laughs> it's already been said. We sometimes need to keep our mouth shut. We over-explain things sometimes. But what he's referring to here is back to all of chapter 8, where, remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and he's actually not been to this church yet. And it's been a little over 25 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And everybody's new to this Christianity thing, right? It hasn't been around that long, and they're all learning together. Paul hopes to go visit them, but there's not a particular issue that he's dealing with. He's not getting on to them for something he's heard about them. He's just reminding them of things that, and telling them things they need to know, maybe they're not aware of. Isn't it funny that back then they still have some of the same issues and questions that we still have today, even though we have all this history now and we can go back and learn and look at this? They had a question about the Holy Spirit. Anybody in here ever wondered what it is that the Holy Spirit really does, right? Sometimes we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit because we're afraid we're going to be jumping over pews and people are going to be speaking in strange languages, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, there, there's a whole lot more to the Holy Spirit than that and so we don't need to squelch him and try to put him aside Because without the Holy Spirit you couldn't come to saving faith in Jesus because he's the one that convicts you and gives you understanding And so we need the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does so much more. He seals us. He gives us hope He intercedes for us. He talks to God on our behalf with groanings and 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 sounds that are too we, we can't even understand when we don't know what to pray. He does know what to pray And he brings us an assurance that we've been adopted. And so he tells him in chapter 8 all these things that the Holy Spirit has helped to accomplish in your life. And because of all these things, he asks the question, then what then shall we say? Well, we don't have to say anything because I just told you everything. So you don't have to say any more. But then he asks the next one. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if you do have to say anything, if you do have to ask a question, here's your question. If God is for us, then who can be against us? First of all, the good news is God is for us. If you're his child, he is for you. Isn't that good news? He's not against you. You don't have to worry about him out there trying to find ways to trip you up and to hurt you and and to destroy you and to punish you. Now, he's righteous and he's just and he's going to discipline us. But ultimately, God is for us because we're part of his family, because we've been adopted and he paid the price for us. And so if he's for us, then who can be against us? And the answer to that is no one. No one. There's nothing or no one that we have to be afraid of. There's no one else that matters. There's no one else's opinion that matters. There's no one else's thought of us that even... It doesn't matter because God is for us. Anybody in here ever been afraid? Right? We all have at some point. And we think about the things we're afraid of, and then we think about the fact... Anybody ever heard somebody say, my dad can beat up your dad? Let me tell you something. My dad can beat up everybody else's dad. My God's already won, and He's in control, and He's for me. He loves me. That doesn't mean that He's going to let me run crazy and do whatever I want to. But God is for us, and so then He goes on. So He tells us, "No one, guys, don't be afraid. Don't worry about the Romans. don't Don't worry about being in cap. Don't worry about any of that stuff. All the questions that you have." Don't be afraid because God loves you, has a plan for you, and he's promised to take care of you. You just got to trust him and do your part. He goes on, he says, so he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So the question is, how will he not also graciously or freely give us all things? What he's saying is this, God's already given you Jesus to help you accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. Number one, you need to understand that's enough. If God doesn't give you anything else other than life through Jesus Christ, he's given you everything you need. Does that make sense? We think we need so much more. Oh, God, if only I had this, and if only you did this, and if only, and if only, and if only, and and we're so worried about what we don't have to the point that God is reminding us, you forget who you do have. And who you do have can provide all of that. Why do we think, That God is going to leave leave us alone to just wander aimlessly and not be able to accomplish what we need to do. Philippians 4.13, everybody know that? I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. Doesn't mean I can walk up to the plate and hit a home run or that I can be the best baseball player. What it means is I can do everything that God has commanded me and asked me to do, I can do it through the strength that the Holy Spirit gives me through Jesus. I can do everything through his power. So I don't have to be afraid. And we can know that. The promise is, if he gave us Jesus, why would he give us Jesus and then just leave us alone? You ever thought maybe you couldn't do it? You ever felt like God was asking you to do something that you didn't feel empowered to do or you didn't feel like you were capable of? Really, that's the best place to be. That's where God wants us because then we're totally dependent on him. And guess who gets the glory when he accomplishes what he set out to do and we're not taking the credit for it? He does which is his ultimate goal and so he says he's given us everything that we need to accomplish his purpose and then he goes on he says who will bring a charge against god's elect god is the one who justified church who's your accuser who's your accuser anybody ever been accused by the world anybody ever been you know told how sorry you are and what an awful person you were and how dare you try to tell them about jesus because they know how you were like remember in, in our Dixie this year is a story of a disaster relief volunteer who lived 20 minutes from Wynn, Arkansas and refused for 15 years to go home because the people back there knew him. When the tornado struck, guess what he did? He was the first guy back in Wynn, and God used that experience to, to restore him and to restore his, his, his life with those people and to make a difference. Guys, we don't have to worry about what anybody says because the only one that can accuse you, who is it? It's God. What did he do? He gave his son for you. The only one who has the right to accuse you and to condemn you is God. Now, here's the thing. Anybody ever heard somebody say, only God can, uh, can judge me? You ever heard that statement before? People actually use that statement. They say, only God can judge me as if that's a good thing. In other words, what they're trying to say is, you, you just leave me alone and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. My daughter has a friend who's getting married and... and uh, uh, her and her boyfriend fiance through a series of reasons that they'll give you an excuses are now living together before they get married They got a new pastor the new pastor found out they were living together and came and told them Okay You can't work in this capacity in the church and in fact if you don't get married in one more week. You're gonna have to leave and so they she called my daughter and was asking her her opinion of all this and she said these words literally I know that we're disobeying God and I'm gonna have to pay for it one day guess what word came next But, but I know some deacons that did this, and I know this, and I know this. There was never any remorse and any idea. She really thought that the worst thing that had happened to her was the pastor said, we're going to make you leave the church. When the worst thing that happened is there's a God who knows everything she did, and he's already judged her, and she just said, I'm going to have to answer for it, but I don't care. There's a lot of things right now I would not stand up here and tell you. Anybody in here have skeletons in your closet that you'd be embarrassed for us to know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do you know what? When we did those things, the creator of the universe saw it, and we couldn't have cared less. We're more worried about what people might say than what the God of the universe could do. doesn't make much sense, does it? But here's the good news that we have, is that the, that the God of the universe, who could condemn us, sent Jesus to set us free. People ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? A loving God doesn't send people to hell. A loving God offered people who deserve hell a way out. See the difference? It's a huge difference. Now, here's the thing that when you say about judging and all that, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and people accusing us. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit's job. So the Holy Spirit is not accusing us. He's just telling us the reality of it. We're sinful. We deserve death. Without Jesus, we're going to hell. That's his job. We can get mad at that all day, but that's what he does. And I'd close this part of it with just simply saying this, if the rest of the world can accuse you and condemn you, why do we do that to ourselves? You ever been your worst accuser? oh man, I can't do that because I just did this and I did this and I'm not good enough and I'm this and and we live with guilt and we wallow in our self-pity. Imagine if we adopted the motto instead of the woe is me, imagine if it became for us greater is he. Think about that. If my motto became instead of woe is all those times in my life where I spent woe is me, oh poor me, oh I can't, oh this is awful, and we just adopted the motto that greater is he and he set me free and he's He's already told me, I'm not accusing you. You've already been, you've accepted the gift. You've accepted the price I've paid. How different would our lives be? And then he goes on and he says, so who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, just rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So again, to just people accusing us of stuff, who can condemn us of something? You know, Jesus, again, could be the one who could accuse us and say, okay, hey, I paid the price for you and, and you disobeyed, but he didn't. God could condemn us but he didn't. Um, again, only Jesus can do this, but what did Jesus, instead of condemning us, what did Jesus do? He died for us. Anybody in here ever been judgmental? Anybody in here ever thought of what someone else deserved? Anybody in here ever, again, just like, hey, I'm, mine's not as bad because this person's is like this, and, and we stand ready to, to quickly get rid of people and to kick them out and to cast them out where jesus went to the cross knowing that most of the people there would not accept him and he stayed up there anyway and he did it for you and he did it for me Uh, here's the other thing that people say oh god is love jesus loves everyone right so if jesus we're all god's children you ever heard that one i've got news for you if you've never heard this if you've not been adopted as his child you are not his child god created us to all be his children but something got in the way of that you remember what it was it was sin and it destroyed that relationship and so everybody who says we're all god's children are just lying to themselves and they're lying to everybody else you have to be adopted he says i paid a price for your adoption don't try to act like this isn't here and it's not a thing because it's a real thing oh jesus loves us here's my illustration for this real quick as we as we finish up. How many in here are married? Anybody? How many think about getting married one day, right? Some of you, Imagine this, you go through the, the, you go through the relationship, you, you go through the courtship, you go through the dating, you, you, you get to know each other, you go through all the heartache, all the good times, all the bad times, you spend the money on the wedding, you get, you get married, you go through all that, and you invest in each other, and you know each other, you've poured your life and your soul into one another, you love each other so much, and here's what you say. My wife loves me so much that after going through all of this, she looked me straight in the face and she said, Because I love you, I want you to go cheat on me as many times as you possibly can, just so you'll be happy, because that would make me happy because I love you. Makes sense, doesn't it? Isn't that, pardon my French, but isn't that stupid? I mean, there's sometimes where that word comes into play, and when we, if we thought like that, we're not very smart. That's not even just ignorant. That's foolishness, because we know better. You would never say that, but that's what we do to God. God loves me so much that he sent his son to die so that I could cheat on him as many times as I wanted to and be happy, because he wants me to be happy because he loves me. If it doesn't make any sense for us as humans, why in the world would it make sense for a creator God who loves us and is holy and righteous? I didn't send my son so that you can cheat on me. You are his brother, you are his, you are, you are his sister, and you are my child, and you are the, the bride. And he, uh, No, <laughs> I gave you this. Anybody ever heard the illustration of uh, when someone talks about salvation and they say, you know, there was a man that was accused and he was sitting in a courtroom and he got accused and said the penalty was death, but then all of a sudden the judge looks over and his son stands up and he says, this is my son. He's offered to pay the price for you and everybody claps and cheers, and that sounds like a really good illustration. That's not really the story, because it leaves a lot of stuff out. Picture this instead, when you tell, if you ever tell this story, do it like this. There was a man who committed a crime. It's not that he was accused, he committed a crime, but he convinced himself that he was okay for various reasons. Hey, everybody loves me, I've always gotten out of stuff before. I didn't really do anything that bad. You know, I didn't really do this. I can charm my way out of this. I can talk my way out of this. Maybe he's even convinced himself that what he did He really didn't commit this crime, and so he's in the courtroom about to stand trial. He's not worried. He's going to get out of it until the moment that the judge walks into the room, and the man looks at the judge, and his heart sinks into his feet, and his stomach is all in knots, and he realizes there's no hope because it's the judge that he committed the crime against. He's like, ain't talking my way out of this one. No way. And so he knows he's guilty and he goes through the trial. He hears the words guilty, he gets the punishment and it's death. And yes, Jesus says, but hold or God says, but hold on, the judge, hold on. My son, stand up. My son and I, before you were ever thought of, before you were ever by your parents, before you were ever created, before this world ever came into being, we made a plan, and that plan was that he was willing to pay your price for you. But here's what's gonna happen: I'm gonna adopt you as my child. You're gonna become his brother. You're gonna be reminded every day of the sacrifice that he made for you, but you're gonna come live with me, and you're gonna follow my rules, and you're gonna obey me, and I'm gonna take care of you, and I'm gonna provide for you everything you ever needed, and I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna show you what it means to have the life that you were meant to have, but that's what you gotta do. It's not just a matter of you saying, okay, I accept his payment, and I'm done. No, it's a matter of you become my child, and that means I become your dad, and if I become your dad, you start following my rules because I'm in charge, because I paid the price for you so that's what he did for us and then in verse 35 he says who will separate us from the love of Christ and then he goes on tribulation, distress persecution, famine, nakedness, peril sword, he talks about uh, we're being put to death all day long, all the things they're going through for these people but in all these things we're, uh, he goes on 30, in 38 says for I'm convinced neither death knife, life, angels, principalities things present, things to come, powers height, depth or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God Is there anything that can, he says, what, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is what? No one. And then the question is, what? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Guess what the answer to that one is? Nothing. And he lists everything here. There's nothing that he left out. That's where we get this concept of once saved, always saved. He says, hey, I love you, and nothing can separate. There's nothing you can do. There's nobody. If you truly are my child, nothing can separate you. Remember, Paul is speaking to children, to God's children. He's speaking to the people who have been adopted. He's speaking to the people who have received his free gift because everything he's saying right here is the best news you could ever receive. But if you're lost and you don't know Jesus, this is the worst news that you could ever receive because this is not true of you. He's not speaking to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't intercede for lost people. He, he convicts them, but he only, he only intercedes for God's people. His role is to convict you and to teach you, and if you don't listen to him, then that's on you. But he's talking about his children, and nothing can separate us if we belong to him. And I had a friend who used to say, okay, we believe that you can lose your salvation. You're saying if you, if you lost it, you were never saved, we're saying the same thing. And I would tell him, no, we're not saying the same thing. I believe with all my heart that God says, if you're my child, you'll always be my child. But church, here's the thing, we've got to be growing to be like Jesus. We don't just walk an aisle and say a prayer and then live however we want to. We become more like Him. We're constantly being saved until one day we're glorified. So we're justified, we're sanctified, and then one day we're glorified. And if you don't look any different than you did the day you became a Christian, then there ought to be red flags going, whoa, something's wrong. And then lastly, here's the best thing that you need to hear. In verse 37, he says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Another version says we are more than conquerors. You ever thought about what it means to be more than a conqueror? Let me give you this little, this quote real quick, Uh, I think J.D. Greer said this but I think he got it from someone else but it's really cool in it and just think about what this means that God has given you and has made you and why in the world are we walking around with our heads hung down and afraid of what the world can do to us and afraid of what might happen and what we might lose here when we know there's something more. He says this, a conqueror defeats his enemy But one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foe, but one who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. You are more than conquerors through Jesus who's overcome. That means not only are you no longer a sin to slave, it's your slave. You're its daddy now. <laughs> you don't have to do it anymore. The Bible, set, the Bible says that Jesus set you free from sin, not to sin. You realize that now every time you disobey God, it's your choice. You do it because you want to. Church, be honest. Do you really struggle with knowing right from wrong? If you're a child of the king, do you really sit there and wrestle with, that guy made me mad, should I kill him or not? Mm, that's tough. Do you sit there and go, my parents said, don't take a cookie, and I want a cookie. So I'm wondering, is it really wrong to take a cookie, and the Holy Spirit is screaming at you, don't take the cookie, it's wrong, and you know it's wrong, but what's the problem? I want the stinking cookie. And so my issue is not, and I can't blame God, and I can't get mad at God and say, God, you never told me. I've dealt with people who were dating someone, and that person broke up, and they're like, I'm so mad at God how could he let this happen and I would ask him did you ever pray and ask God number one if you should be dating this person and if you should be dating at all you just did it because that's what you thought you should do and because that's what you wanted you know that statement it's easier to ask for permission than forgiveness it doesn't apply to God we just get in trouble all the time We are more than conquerors. We've got to start living like sin has already been abolished. It's been conquered. It's still there, but you don't have to give in to it. Is that going to be easy? Someone someone take this scripture right here, and I want you to find me two things. If you can find me these things, you'll be the first person who's ever shown me that. Okay? Two common complaints, but two things that, that I guarantee are not in scripture. Show me in here where God ever said it was all going to be easy find it. Where God said, your life is going to be perfect, nothing bad's ever going to happen, you're going to just have good things and blessings, and it's going to be like heaven on earth until you get to heaven. Find it. And then find me in here, anything you're going through, I dare you, I challenge you, every time you want to complain that it's not fair, find it for me in here where the Bible says what you're going through is not fair and that God mistreated you. Find it. You know what? You can't. You know why? Because it's not in there, because God didn't lie to you. In fact, he said, if you, want to, if you desire to be godly in Christ Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to be persecuted. Oh, that sounds like fun. You guys know the book of James, one of my favorite books? Man, these people have been kicked out of their homes. They've been they've scattered abroad. Their preacher finally writes them a letter, and they think, Man, he's writing me a letter to tell us we're all going to get to come back home. Everything's great. I can't wait to read this letter. Can you imagine being the guy that had to share this message? The very first words out of his mouth were, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Seriously? That's what I signed up for? No message in there of, hey, it's going to be a couple months. In fact, he said, you're going to be there a long time. Jeremiah the prophet, remember? Hey, guys, pitch your tents. Marry. Start your life because you're going to be there for a long time. I know that's not the word you wanted, but that's the word you got. And you can either trust him or you can go by yourself. When we blame God and we get angry with God and we forget that we've already won, then we live life in isolation and we live life separated from what we're supposed to, from our purpose. We're not telling people about Jesus. We're selling people against Jesus. You think people want to know the God that you know and all they hear you do is complain and worry and gripe and be afraid? I'm already that way. I don't need any more of that, right? But when we show them that we serve a God who's made us more than conquerors, That doesn't mean that we conquer these people, we still have to love people, we still have to make friends with lost people, we still have to introduce them to Jesus, but we've got to face our life. The Bible is chock full of opportunities and challenges for us to persevere and to endure. You don't persevere and endure good things, do you? Man, I had to persevere that Alaskan cruise I took this summer, it was tough. Man, then the boat got stuck and we had to stay in Ketchikan for another day, man, that was awful and the weather was a balmy 65 degrees, but I persevered, right? No, those are easy to go through. It's the difficulties that we have to persevere, but he tells us time after time after time, endure, 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 persevere, because it's gonna be worth it, and your purpose here is to bring him glory, and it's to tell people about him and to lead them to Jesus, not to have the best life you can have here, because your best life is coming, because you're a child of the king. But the question is, are you a child of the king? And only you can know that, and only you can answer that. He paid the price. He paid the adoption fee. He set it up for you. All you've got to do is receive him. But when you do that, there's, there's, it costs you. We always say it's free. It is free because you can't do anything for it, but it costs you everything. But everything you have is rubbish. It's garbage. What are you giving up to follow Jesus? Nothing. Trust him. Live for him. You want to make a difference? You know, I used to tell teenagers all the time, they want to get, everybody wants to be different and so they pierce and they do all this stuff and I said, you know what, you want to be different, go live for Jesus and you'll be different than most of the people in your youth group. You'll be different than most of the people in your school. You'll be different than a lot of people in your church if you just go live for Jesus. That's how you be different because that's what He's called us to do. And then on top of that, He gives us the power to do it. We can trust Him because we're His children and that's the best gift He's ever given us. Don't you want to share that with people? Why would we want to hoard that? Why would we want to just say, no, 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 I'm just going to be his son. You can't be. You don't get any less because you lead more people to him. In fact, you get a well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want to hear one day? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And thank you for Paul and for his ministry and for what he's teaching the Romans. Thank you for what we can learn. Thank you that we understand that it's through the Holy Spirit that we, Father, can understand that you've sent Jesus so that we can be adopted. Lord, we can continue to grow in our salvation. We can continue to grow to know you, be conformed to your image. I pray that all of us would reflect the sun, that all of us, when people see us, they would see Jesus. Father, an imperfect picture, but a a picture of, uh, a growing picture, a picture that's beginning to develop of, of, of the Jesus that we serve and the Jesus that we say we know and the Jesus that we owe our lives to. Thank you for the gift of your son, and I just pray for anybody today that needs to make a decision. Father, that they would understand if they've been living for the world and And Father, living as people who are afraid and and not living as though we're more than conquerors, I just pray that you'll give us strength and courage today. I pray that you'll just speak to our heart. I pray that you'll help us to to stand up for the truth of the gospel, to love people, but not to give in and not to accept people's sin and tell them that it's okay. But Father, I pray that we'd be willing to stand for the truth, but in the process to to stand for people who are unlovely and who, Father, we may think we can never love, but they're people that you love and that you died for, and they're people that you, uh, Father, call to be adopted as your children. Help us to work together now. Help us to love each other now. We're going to be spending a long time together. And I just pray that we would all, Father, learn how to work together for the kingdom and learn how to love others. And Lord, just be with us time today of invitation. If anybody here doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would know you today. I pray that you would do the work that only you can do, Father. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a time of invitation. The invitation is simple. If you don't know Jesus and you'd like to know more, I'd love to talk to you. I know others here would love to visit with you. If you just need to come and pray, come and pray. If you just need to admit to God, hey, you know what? I've been living as someone who's afraid and not someone who's more than a conqueror. Then you come and do that today. Whatever God has for you to do today, don't leave here without having done business with him this morning, all right? Let's sing together.